0: Welcome to episode 22 of the Security Matters podcast where we bring you the latest news, views and opinion from across the UK's dedicated security business sector. My name's Brian Sims and I'm the editor of Security Matters magazine. We're delighted that this podcast is sponsored by The Security Event which runs at the NEC in Birmingham on the 5th, 6th and 7th of April 2022. To register for the show visit www.thesecurityevent.co.uk Focusing on the news now, and the Security Institute and the UK Crowd Management Association have announced the launch of a new Protecting People in Crowded Places Special Interest Group, in tandem with forming a dedicated committee of industry professionals, will now drive its work going forward. This is a pivotal time for those with responsibility of protecting crowded places such as parks, sports stadiums, the high streets or indeed transport hubs. There's a growing realisation that, in order to properly safeguard such places, a blend of knowledge and skills in the realms of safety, security, service and leadership is a dominating requirement requirement. requirement. The Protecting People in Crowded Places Special Interest Group has a vital role to play in pulling together research, knowledge and experience in addressing safety and security as an integrated concept for crowded places themselves. Collaboration between sector professionals will ensure that the collective security voice is heard and that those professionals can influence policy and indeed central government ministers alike about the key issues relating to this area of security provision. Speaking about the new Protecting People in Crowded Places Special Interest Group, the Security Institute's Chair Peter Lavery said, the Security Institute is delighted to continue its collaborative work with the UKCMA through this special interest group, which itself exhibits a multidisciplinary approach towards protecting people in crowded places. This is a critical area for competent crowd safety and security professionals who, on behalf of owners and operators, consider the risk of terrorist attacks and take proportionate and reasonable measures under the proposed protect duty legislation to safeguard members of the public. A multi-agency approach is required in terms of preparation and indeed response planning. The Protecting People in Crowded Places Special Interest Groups Committee includes four industry-leading co-chairs, namely Anne-Marie Chabib, Gary Simpson, Simon Roberts and Simon Ancliffe. Robert Kennedy, board director at the Security Institute, will be acting as the sponsoring director of the Protecting People in Crowded Places Special Interest Group. Speaking on the announcement of the committee, Kennedy explained the calibre of the individuals already involved in this special interest group will enable thought leadership that demonstrates altruism to influence and align safety and security. This builds on the recently announced partnership between the Security Institute and the UKCMA. It's going to be a game changer for the industry. I'm really looking forward to the outputs from this special interest group which will be a benefit to our industry and indeed society as a whole. The Protecting People in Crowded Places special interest group will be officially launched at the Protecting People in Crowded Places conference. This is to be held at the London Stadium in Stratford, the home of West Ham United FC, on Thursday the 21st of April. Tickets for this event will be made available in due course. The shortlist of finalists has been revealed for the first ever Fire and Security Masters Awards in the wake of this all-new awards scheme receiving upwards of 200 entries. Supported by Security Matters and Fire Safety Matters, the Fire and Security Matters Awards are organised by Western Business Media in conjunction with the Fire Industry Association, with ACO serving as the headline sponsor. The Fire and Security Matters Awards are designed to recognise excellence and innovation in both the fire and security business sectors. The winners of the Fire and Security Matters Awards are to be announced during a gala dinner and ceremony to be held at the CBS Arena in Coventry on Thursday the 28th of April 2022. The evening itself will be hosted by popular impressionist and comedian Alistair McGowan. The fire Fire and Security Masters Awards are being supported by a number of key industry bodies, including the Security Institute, the National Security Inspectorate, the Security Systems and Alarms Inspection Board, ASIS UK, the Institute of Strategic Risk Management, and also the International Foundation for Protection Officers. Finalists in the Security Manufacturer of the Year category are AMAG Technology, NASA Abloy Opening Solutions, Azena, Bandweaver Technology, CSL, IDIS Europe, Partisan Security and TODD Research. The Security Guarding Company of the Year award is going to be contested by Anubis Security, CIS Security, Magenta Security, Mighty Security, Security Group, the STM Group, TLG Facilities Management and also Ward Security. Sponsored by software solutions provider Simpro, the finalists in the Security Installer Stroke Integrator of the Year category are Christian Watts from Mighty, James Talbot of BAC Fire and Security, and also the National Contracts Team at the Tailored Fire and Security Group. The Security Team of the Year award is sponsored by Acer Abloy. This year's finalists are Amberley Security, Brooknight Security, Carlisle Support Services, CIS Security, Eborakam UK, Hiri Security, the Leeds Teaching Hospitals NHS Trust, the Mighty BNQ Detective Team, the Mighty Sellerfield Civilian Guard Force Shift Managers, the OCS Group, Sainsbury Security Operations Centre and its Crime Intelligence Team, and the Securitas Intelligence Unit. Security Project of the Year finalists are Asa Abloy Opening Solutions, AGR Technology, the BSIA Echo Project, the International Foundation for Protection Officers for its Ethos Farm, the Mighty and HMRC Partnership, Mighty Security for its Co-op My Safety Project, the Mighty Vaccine Security Audit, Partisan Security, the RAF Air Cadets, Reliance High Tech and the Natural History Museum, Security Group, the Securitas Intelligence Units and VPSUK for the MOD Defence Infrastructure Organisation. Last but not least, the finalists for the Security Stroke Risk Manager of the Year category are Dan Reed of the STM Group, Glenn Hughes from VPSUK, James Fay of Keystone Fire Safety, Mark Taylor from Mighty Security, Paul Gomisall of Securitas, Pauline Dennis from Security Group, Phil Brewer of Brooknight Security, Ross Harvey from Fuse Systems, Russell Keddie of Mighty Security, Samantha Lang from Security Group, and also Victoria Obwehi of Coca-Cola tickets are now on sale for this must attend event in the industry's calendar and are priced at 199 pounds plus VAT per person or 1800 pounds plus VAT for a table of 10. you can buy your tickets now online at www.firesecurityawards.com. that's all one word firesecurityawards.com Our first guest on episode 22 is Andy Williams co-founder director and deputy chair of Tiny G the Global counterterrorism information Network. Andy is a recognised specialist in the fields of both law enforcement and security management. He spends a large proportion of his time volunteering as a mentor for individuals across the security profession and also as a magistrate. A former chair of the UK chapter and regional vice president of ACES International, Andy has served as a middle warden of the Worshipful Company of Security Professionals and also as a member of the Validation Board for the Security Institute. Andy is a certified protection professional and a fellow of the Institute of Strategic Risk Management. During our interview, Andy focuses his attentions on the threatscape for the year ahead and also looks back on the many achievements realised by Tony G to date. First of all Andy, can you tell us what Tony G is all about as an organisation?
1: Absolutely. It, very simply, it's an organisation that was formed with the intention of improving uh, opportunities to collaborate between law enforcement and uh, and the the private community, whether that be corporations or small businesses. It was, uh, it was formed in 2006, and really as a result of a, a, a throwaway conversation that um, our group founder Dave Evans had with um, uh, a, a colleague in New York um, who who was c- concerned that the ability for private corporations to to uh, share information uh, with law enforcement particularly in New York at the time was um, was difficult and uh, and they kind of came up with the idea that wouldn't it be great if there was an organization that people could join where the opportunity to share information to collaborate to network to learn best practice between corporations and between corporations and law enforcement were around and that was that was the simple basis of it it was a it was um, a, com-
0: a conversation that was uh had unintended consequences but very good consequences and when and how did you first become involved with tiny g yourself andy well shortly after that actually because dave evans came back to london dave and i had known each other at that
1: stage for something in the region of probably 20 years um, having both served together in the met in in uh, in the, the 90s and um dave um was uh just about to leave the police and i was at that stage i think i was operations director at lynx and we met up at uh, uh one of the city and london crime prevention association meetings by just by pure chance and uh, he told me all about it I, I wasn't in a position to do very much at the time but i was very interested i thought it sounded like it had a a, a really good um uh, it was a really good idea and and it had something it was going to fit a gap in the market um I wasn't in position at that time to get involved, but then Dave came back to me a couple of years later, I think it was, I think it was 2009, when I was, uh, when I was by then head of security at Nomura. And, um, and he invited me to go along to New York to one of the, uh, to one of their, their sessions, one of their, their conferences. And I went and, um, for those of you old enough to uh, to remember the the advert, I was so impressed by it. I bought the company. No, I didn't. I uh, I was so impressed by what I saw. I thought this is something I really want to be involved with. And um, and and I said to Dave, like, you know, I'm, this is this is amazing. This is a brilliant organisation. Um, uh, is there anything I can do to help? And and Dave uh, very kindly said yes. <laughs> and um, and the rest is history. I I was then invited to become a, a, a vice chairman of the group. Really. My uh, my role was to be a conduit between Tiny G and uh, the UK-based financial services sector. That was that was my my uh, primary responsibility at the time, um,
0: and it's sort of grown since then. And you're now the group deputy chairman. What does that t- role entail exactly? So, um, working very closely with David. David and I are
1: are both uh, uh, directors of a, a limited company. So so when Tiny G was set up, it was it was um, Dave. Did it off? Basically, um, he funded it all. He he ran it all through his through his own company, uh, which he sold about two or three years ago. And when he sold it, um, there wasn't a vehicle for the company, for the organization to operate within. So so, we set up a limited company, a company limited by guarantee. So we aren't shareholders. We set that up so that, from the financing perspective, we've got bank accounts and we can sort of sign legal documents, and all the rest of it. Um, and uh, so I do a lot of the running of that. Um, in fact, in about a week's time, I'll be doing our, our annual, annual accounts return uh, and our company's house information. So I sort of run a lot of the administrative side of the organisation, still working very closely with Dave on developing the group and, and its strategy. Uh, in 2016, I led a strategic review of the group, which resulted in the, uh, the introduction of a group patron. And uh, we, uh, we formed our advisory councils internationally, first one in London and then in New York um and so yeah my role very much with Dave, alongside david is, is to be the uh to look at the strategic development of the group and and to uh, look at the international development most specifically we've got some fantastic advisory councils in london led by uh, paul harvey and emma shaw um and and um we have a we have a real really great Level of support from from a number of volunteers who who give their time freely and willingly to help us to uh, to 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 operate the group on a on a country by country basis. That means that Dave and I really have the time to go off and sort of look at the international development element of it. We've had uh, expressions of interest from uh, colleagues in Australia and, and and New Zealand specifically to who want to do something with us down there. So that's that's the next sort of big piece of uh, development for us. But similarly, um, uh, Hong Kong, Singapore. Uh, Dave and I were invited out there. We uh, we went out there. We visited uh, a number of colleagues in in uh, corporates out there who had um, less of a concern about terrorism, frankly, than, than we tend to have in the West. Uh, but it was still something they were slightly concerned about from an extremism, domestic extremism perspective. And so we we visited Hong Kong. We visited Singapore. Uh, had a really good uh, reception there, and it's certainly something that I think we are looking to develop in that in that area. We've got a volunteer already who wants to head up an advisory council for us in in Hong Kong, so that's uh, that's looking really good. But uh, yeah, so my role very much around the strategic development of the group and uh, and sort of some of the
0: administration management really. And looking back, Andy, what do you believe is the Tiny G Group's greatest success to date? I think there's no question. It was it was in 2016 when we um,
1: invited. Uh, at the time Chris Greeney who was at that stage commander in the uh commander of economic crime unit in city of london police to become our first patron group patron um having that very senior level police involvement kind of transformed our uh, uh our reputation i think firstly you know lots of people started taking this seriously they recognized that the police service wouldn't engage at that level unless there was something genuine and and uh, honest about what we were doing. Now, I don't think anyone anyone actually had any real concerns about our honesty, but but it was it sort of his appointment was was um, certainly the, the turning point in getting us recognised by organisations, but also more importantly, perhaps by law enforcement. They suddenly took us very seriously as one of their own, very senior officers as part of the group, and that that kind of that transformed things. Chris moved on, sadly, fairly quickly because he he uh, retired from the police service and, and joined Barclays. But then um, we were very fortunate to get his boss, um Ian Dyson, who was then Commissioner of the City of the police came and took over. And Ian's been our group patron um, ever since he, he retired from the city police. I think his final day of service is actually something like the 2nd or 3rd of January. But uh, um, Ian's been our, uh, our group patron um, for about three or four years, and has done an amazing job for us in in continuing that early success that we achieved with Chris as patron. That international element of law enforcement engagement has just taken off completely. So much so that uh, we now have very senior representatives from law enforcement all over the world who uh, who we're constantly in conversation with about developing the organisation's spread. So um, I think in in an organisational sense that was probably the greatest success we had for me uh, on a day-to-day basis every single time we send one of our email alerts out and uh, and somebody picks it up and it helps them a little bit is a success i mean that's something that we we've we've now sent out um hundreds of thousands of email alerts over the life of the organisation and uh, and and it's it's every single one of those that goes out is completely free of charge but it's if one email goes out and helps one person or one organisation to, uh, to mitigate a threat, then it's a, a success. A success. And, and so for us, it's, uh, um, you know, it's very much about, about that collaboration, about sending something out for free that helps somebody. Uh, and they, they, as far as I'm concerned, every one of those is, is a huge success.
0: And was there a moment when you knew Tiny G had achieved the level of success that you and David wanted when you set out on the journey, Andy? Yeah,
1: yeah I, I remember this really clearly. We got, uh, we got invited to, um, oh, we, we held a conference in New York City, um, and the one that really stands out for me was, was in, uh, in 2018. We had a conference in, in New York City, which Deutsche Bank very kindly hosted for us. And, um, we had invited, uh, a number of, a number of people to come along. One of those was the, um, Cyrus Vance Jr., who is the, um, dist- uh, District Attorney for uh, Manhattan, I believe, and um, he we didn't believe for one second that he would turn up. Very, very busy man, very um, much in demand. Anyway, we turned up at the conference and he turned up. Also, (laughs) along with him came a uh, four star chief from the New York City Police Department, the head of the um, New York Mass Transit Authority Police Department, New New York, New Jersey Transit Authority. we had a room full of some of the most senior law enforcement people in, in the United States. Um, and they turned up because they'd heard about us. And for me, that was kind of, I remember looking at Dave across the room and thinking, my goodness, we, we've really done something here. Uh, Ian Dyson was out there with us. Karen Baxter, who was the commander of the, uh, no, Karen wasn't there, but Ian was there with us. We had, we had the most amazing event. We had some of the most senior people in law enforcement in the room and, um, we were being hosted by Deutsche Bank. We had senior representatives from the bankers and brokers, which are the major financial services organisations in, in, in uh, internationally, but those that are based in New York City. We had everybody you could ever want in the room, and uh, and I remember looking across to Dave, and he looked back at me. Almost, we we were just completely gobsmacked by the success, and I think that for me was a real turning point. That was. We knew that we'd arrived, we knew that we'd landed, and that was in no small part at all due to the fact that uh that was shortly after Ian had become our our patron and um and again that you know that kind of for me was the was the the outcome of lots of years spent trying to encourage and cajole uh, law enforcement to engage with us and corporations to engage with us and on that day and s- subsequently we've had we've had continued support at that kind of level and i think for me that was the really important turning point that day seeing those people there it was amazing
0: and what does 2022's threat landscape look like from your perspective we are all in a situation because of
1: lockdown because of the um the changing uh, the changing circumstances where where it's throughout 2020 of course even terrorists were to some extent locked down We've kind of all been expecting to see, uh, some terrorist activity. Obviously the, uh, the JTAC, um, threat level was increased recently. We're all very well aware that the bad guys are, are seeking to, uh, to do, continue to do us harm. Um, the self-initiated terrorists are still plotting in the way that they were for all of the horrific events we've seen over the years. If covid now allows um, society to return to something like normality, then terrorism will return to something like normality. The, those individuals who are out there looking to do uh, to commit atrocities will have uh, the freedom to do that, perhaps in a way that during lockdown they've not had. We should be under no illusion about that. Terrorism is not going away anytime soon, and self-initiated terrorists are not going away anytime soon. I'm Pretty sure they've been using the time to do their research and to gather intelligence. We just need, we always, as, as organisations, as individuals, as society, we need to be prepared for that, ready for that. Uh, work with our colleagues in law enforcement, listen to, uh, the information we receive from government, JTAC, uh, and international partners and be prepared to ensure that the, uh, that any attempt by the terrorists are mitigated as far as they possibly can be. That we undertake personal awareness training, that the the, uh, the act training that the uh, Metropolitan Police provide is first class. Tiny G offers training for those uh, in security management who may who may find it beneficial. My my view is very much: do your research, do your training, be prepared. Terrorism is, is a threat to organisations. That's that's a threat like any other threat. You need to be prepared for it. You need to demonstrate that you've assessed that. Do your risk assessments do your threat mitigations do your risk mitigations be prepared for it because it 's not going away
0: and last but not least Andy, what does the new year hold in store for tiny G as an organization tiny, uh, tiny g in 2022 is probably going to be the biggest year yet we 've had an
1: invitation from a uh, a huge global brand i won 't tell you the name just yet because we haven't, we haven 't firmed it uh, we haven 't firmed up the date to it yet but uh, we 've been invited to go to los angeles New York um for events in uh two events hopefully around about late spring, early summer. Brilliant news that Neil Batu um has agreed to take over as group patron from uh from Ian Dyson and that starts in January. Uh Dave and I have got meetings with uh the Chief Constable of Essex Police and British Transport police uh lined up for uh looking at how we can develop our um sharing uh partnerships with with other police forces so those are those are re- really important events that we've got coming up so yeah it's a really exciting year um i hope that uh whatever health whatever happens with the uh COVID situation that it doesn't prevent us from getting out there and doing things um but yeah lots and lots of uh great stuff to come and i'll, I'll make sure that uh you and your readers and listeners are kept fully aware of those Brian.
0: Returning to the latest news now and security and risk management consultancy DW Associates has officially launched into both the UK and international security markets. The business has been founded by Director David Ward, former owner and CEO of Ward Security and is launched with the backing of a team of highly experienced security specialists who will focus on working with businesses here in the UK in addition to those harbouring a global footprint. DW Associates is comprised of security consultants and experts in their individual fields, with each associate having a minimum of 25 years' experience in their given specialism. Current associates include Colin Morgan, Chris Greeney, Don Randall, Hassan Ramadi, Jane Mason, John Connegan, Kerry O'Connor, Linda Todd, Nigel Quantrell, Marshall Kent, Paul Crowther, Paul Barnard, Rob Smith, Simon Rogers, Simon Whitehouse and also Tom Jenkins. In practice, the group will operate in multidisciplinary teams, duly offering a range of consultancy services from mapping everyday business security needs through to forward thinking and planning a response to a critical security incident. The company is also positioning itself as a leader in providing security, risk and resilience training and crisis management support. David Ward has decades of experience in security management and indeed has worked at every level of the security industry. Ward is also a board trustee of the Cross-Sector Safety and Security Communications Initiative as well as the founding creator of the City Security Council. He founded Kent based Ward Security in 2000. Under his direction, the company grew to become one of the leading security businesses here in the UK with a £45 million annual turnover, and employing over 1,000 trained individuals. Ward left his position with the business in 2021 to establish DW Associates. Commenting on this new venture, Ward-Informed Security Matters, the idea behind DW Associates was born out of discussions with clients who had a broad range of security needs and from people whom I previously worked with. As a collective, they all felt that our pooled knowledge would be a strong proposition for the security business sector. Working in a flexible way, we can handpick the right experts for each client and be confident that the client is receiving the highest quality of knowledge and expertise available. DW Associates is passionate about sharing best practice and knowledge with others in order to help improve security and on that basis has established a security champions network to facilitate mentoring. Industry thought leaders will share insights with other businesses about how they resolve or manage practical security issues. The idea here is to create a network of security champions in several countries that will improve access to security education and knowledge. The initiative will begin by identifying those individuals who are willing to be security champions in their home countries and who can help DW Associates in building a network for delivering knowledge transfer. The program for the security champions network includes includes access to the campaign toolkit, free webinars and blogs delivered by industry thought leaders and experts, case studies on how specific security issues have been tackled and solved, general advice and guidance, mentoring assistance and support, and of course networking. Security practitioners who are interested in becoming part of the Security Champions Network should visit www.dwassociate.com forward slash champions or send an email to info at Optimal Risk Group, the provider of tailored risk management solutions across a diverse array of business sectors, has announced the appointment of Rick Mountfield as a director of the business. As recently reported by Security Matters, Mountfield is soon to leave the Security Institute after five years in the role of CEO. Going forward, he'll now be responsible for helping the Optimal Risk Group to develop its numerous services across the full range of sectors in which it operates. A chartered security professional, Mountainfield is a global specialist in the arenas of protective security and close protection risk management. He was awarded a meritorious service medal in 2011 for his outstanding career, which included the provision of close protection services for British ambassadors and senior generals in hostile countries. Mountainfield served a total of eight years on operations across 22 years of service in the British Army. He is a proud holder of an MSC in security management, gained through study at Lapra University. Commenting on the news, Mike O'Neill, Group Managing Director at the Optimal Risk Group, stated, having known Rick since before he left the army and then observed how he has grown as a professional, I'm personally very pleased that he's joining us. This is an exciting time for the group and Rick will be an important part of our future growth. In response, Moundfield noted, Joining the Optimal Risk Group at this time is not only exciting, but also offers the challenges that I need for the future and the next stage of my career. The group's client base is enviable, bridging the divide from government to the corporate and the private sectors. Moundfield added, Most importantly, Mike has been a mentor and friend for more than 10 years now. I witnessed his altruistic nature. He's always giving freely of his time for others and enjoys the highest levels of respect from his peers. Optimal Risk Group is a truly ethical and passionate company that nurtures its staff, encouraging personal growth as much as it does the growth of the business itself. Mounfield leaves the Security Institute, having successfully doubled the organization's membership and established it as a leading professional membership body for dedicated practitioners here in the UK. He starts in his new role at the Optimal Risk Group on Monday the second of May. As a business, Optimal Risk offers trusted and confidential support for its clients from the boardroom through to the field operations level. Its approach is to support clients in becoming resilient organisations that are prepared to respond effectively to any strategic or operational risk. Across the years, the company has developed a range of specialist training courses in conjunction with subject matter experts in order to equip organisations and operators alike with the knowledge, skills and best practice needed to ensure top-level performance. Many of its qualifications are accredited on the regulated qualifications framework. In other instances, the company works closely with clients to fashion bespoke courses that address their particular circumstances. Optimal Risk also delivers operationally focused technical training for governments, law enforcement and specialist critical national infrastructure capabilities. Our second guest on this edition of the Security Matters podcast is Matt Gilmartin, Managing Director of Concept Screen, the developer of security-based fogging systems. Matt has now been resident within the business for over two decades in fact, having previously served as sales director and also in the role of national sales manager. Matt is a great champion of the myriad benefits to be realised by those companies who choose to export UK manufactured security systems and technology. He makes very good use of our interview to inform the readers of Security Matters all about the new Connected campaign being run by Concept Smokescreen. Matt, can you offer some detail in terms of what Concept Smoke Screen is all about as a business, please?
2: Yeah, sure. Thanks, Brian. Um, so, Concept Smoke Screen is actually going to be 30 years old this year. Um, we were founded in 1992. And um, at the time, the company was involved, believe it or not, in a repurposed pyrotechnic that produced a load of smoke which found a lot of favor with some customers who used this pyrotechnic as a defense measure to um, fill an area full of smoke confront bad guys drive them away stop intrusions um, violent attacks that kind of thing Um, the pyrotechnics though were very clear that they weren't going to be suitable long term Um, they left a dust everywhere nasty smell Although it was in favour with a lot of customers, um, it wasn't going to be something that could be taken to market um, in a broader sense. So at the time, the founders found another technology, um, thermally generated fog, which had exactly the same effect in terms of obscuration and and confronting criminals, um, but was clean, safe, uh, didn't leave any residue behind. And that's what became the Smokescreen range. Um, that's been sold in the UK now successfully for for, the, for all of that time, um, protecting a huge amount of uh, high street retailers, um, data centers, uh, defense installations, you name it, anywhere that there's um, a risk of attack where there's stuff to protect, smoke screen and security fog has got an application. So that's sort of the background of the business. Um, In the last 10 to 15 years, the business has been more involved in export, um, exposing markets as far flung as Latin America uh, and and as near as Europe, um, and then going over the the other way, South Africa and and places like that. And again, we always seem to be going where there's quite high risk um, and something that needs uh, a very effective solution to intrusion and rapid attacks. And what exactly is the Connected Initiative focused on, Matt? So we started the Connected Initiative um, about a year ago, and it's really born out of our core principle as a business that safety and security is a, a basic right. And, and that's come, believe it or not, from the travelling that we've done as a business into some of these really high-risk um, countries, so, or high-risk areas, I should say. Quite frequently, we're going to areas where... Um, there's what we would call social divide yeah so if you imagine in uh, places like latin america where um, you'll have fantastic wealth sitting right next door to crushing poverty really and we came to the conclusion that look nobody's born wanting to be a career criminal that that isn't the way things work that there's more likely to be environmental and social pressure that um, leads people to what we class as acts of desperation basically And it became really telling in some of the marketplaces that that we were working in. And we became kind of uh, impassioned by the desire to change this. We we don't just want to sell sticking plasters to loss prevention problems. We would like ultimately, and this is going to sound counterintuitive, to work um, in a world where we're not needed. So effectively put ourselves out of business, which is a bit of a strange, big, hairy, ambitious goal to have. We know we're not going to achieve that, but we think that the secure, the private security industry has got a responsibility not just to sell solutions to, to problems, but also to be engaged in reducing the problems being there in the first place. And connected is what came out of the other side, which was um, a campaign that we're, we're using a, uh, an email newsletter, an online publication to to try and spark change in conversation in the security industry, um, to bring up the idea that, um, you know, we should be engaged in initiatives that are aimed at tackling grassroot-level social problems with the idea that, ultimately, that drives down crime rate to the benefit of everybody. Does, does that kind of make sense, Brian?
0: It does indeed, and further on from that, Max, where did the idea for Connected originate from? So, the idea um, was, Again, it's about that root causes
2: of crime. If you, if you really want to know the, the the initial spark of an idea, I was in India um, uh, it, because the Indian market had opened up to international banking and uh, the banks have proliferated uh, ATMs throughout India and they went from 5,000 ATMs to 250,000 ATMs in the space of two years, I think. So uh, astonishing rollout of, of equipment. And with it came a wave of crime against ATMs. And that's how I ended up in India, trying to support banks in protecting those ATMs. Um, while I was there in Mumbai and in Delhi, you know, I, I had a moment where I was stopped at traffic lights. And, and let me tell you, the traffic lights are probably useless in those areas because the, although we've, you know, it appears to be a functioning road system, I've got no idea how it works there. But we were stopped at that moment and there were some kids um, selling pens at the side of the road to to people in in the traffic. And it was just a stark moment where I realised that those kids at the time were no older than my own, and really it was an accident of birth that my kids weren't in that position, and they were in a a better position. It's really easy for all of this to sound kind of corny in that, but that's where the idea came that, look, we can't just keep um, selling solutions to problems, the problems have got to be addressed as well. Um, And there's all sorts of arguments about how that's government's responsibility or or whatever. But I believe that the private industry also has a role to take in that. So we've been brainstorming how smokescreen could be better engaged. And um, that's where the idea for Connected came from, that we wanted to work with um, academics, with uh, people who were already um, trying to affect change and engage in that so that we could start to create the right conversation in, in the private security industry that we're we're right in the thick of. We believe we've got a responsibility to do that, as I've said, and, and that's where the idea for Connected came from.
0: And what are the first steps you've taken on the environmental side of the equation?
2: Yeah, so throughout this kind of journey of discovery, um, we, as I said, we've been engaging with um, other organisations that uh, have these who share these values and we came across the concept and i'm sure this won't be new to, to many of your listeners of um, having good environmental and social governance so creating an, an esg document for, for the, that guides how we act as a business and um, in order to do that we have started working with um, some environmental consultancy businesses to, to help us create that we've in the last couple of years become an iso 14001 accredited company for Um, responsible and waste management practices. 80% of our fleet is now um, uh, an EV fleet. Above and beyond that, we examined the United Nations um, Sustainable Development Goals. So they've got 17 uh, Sustainable Development Goals. We're not a massive business and we we couldn't possibly hope to contribute to all of those 17 goals. But we've picked out some of the goals that are relevant to us. So Goal 16, I think, is uh, peace, justice and uh, strong institutions so that we're, we sit right in there to try and contribute towards that and then some others that are closer to home for us like um, uh, quality education for all and, and zero poverty those those are things that are close to our, our, my team members hearts so we set in place objectives every year where we aim to contribute to those three sdgs they're called sustainable development goals as well as the more obvious stuff of, you know, trying to reduce our measuring
0: and reducing our carbon footprint, things like that. And following on from that, what works being done on the social side of things? So we uh, engaged with the local
2: university, um, we're in the very early stages of the, that engagement where we've engaged with the Department of Criminology at the University of Lincoln and the objective there is to expose, by working with the ac- academics, is to expose novel data that demonstrates how loss prevention measures, because we're still a business and we, we still, you know, we have to make the right kind of profit if that makes sense. So. The data that we're trying to expose is to show how um, loss prevention measures, when they're installed in the right way, um, have a wider impact on the overall area. So it doesn't just affect the uh, people who are deploying the, the loss prevention measures, it can actually bring up the, the overall environment everywhere. And we found out some fascinating stuff during that um, during that uh, kind of discourse with, with the university. I, I had no idea, for instance, that if you live in close proximity to a source of lead, you just have to live within a nearby vicinity of a source of lead. Uh, You're more likely to develop violent predilections. Well, who knew that? You know, that's complete, it it blew my mind when I discovered that, that, you know, you could be um, the best person in the world, but because of your environmental situation, it's going to affect your behavioural
0: tendencies. And ultimately, Matt, what are you hoping for the campaign to achieve in the short term and the long term? So the stated mission is to change the, the conversation
2: in in the security industry and get better engagement um, across um, initiatives um, that try to affect the right kind of change. So the kind of things that we're hoping are that there'll be more engagement at the private security industry with things like Fender Rehabilitation, with grassroots initiatives that try to set out to um, change Uh, the situation in socially deprived areas, um, as I said, exposing novel data, and we hope that uh, Connected will become a hub for um, that kind of discussion, that kind of engagement across not just the private security industry, but also into academia and into those initiatives that I've mentioned, so that as an industry as a whole, we can start to contribute more and not just constantly look for growth and more sales of whatever product or solution that we offer. That's That's what we're after, Brian.
0: final guest on episode 22 is Phil Cleary, the co-founder and recently retired CEO of the Smartwater Group, the company focused squarely on risk management and forensic coding solutions. Across the years, Phil has realized strategies for Smartwater's myriad clients. Both strategies have been proven to suppress crimes such as burglary, robbery and theft within sectors including retail and the utilities. Having only just stood down as CEO of the business, Phil duly reflects on the company's many significant achievements during his tenure. He then outlines what he believes to be the major issues facing the security business sector over the next few years. So, Phil, you've just stepped down as CEO of the Smartwater Group after 30 years. Looking back, what do you believe to be your greatest achievement in that time period?
3: That's a tricky one, Brian, because, um, you know, 30 years is a long time. i if if cast my mind back to where we were when I was a police officer. The issue was that the police service was spending a lot of money on um, mass property marking schemes, uh, where they go in with the UV pen and, and as a service and mark up people's property. and in ver- or, or they'd use some other, you know, system like micro dots, etching, and they all relied on databases. Run by one-man bands, and, and it was a total chaos. And I was in the CID, and trying to identify owners of property was an absolute disaster. And it ended up with me having to hand back property to cr- criminals that I knew had stolen it. So it set my mind thinking. And, and around about the same time, DNA profiling was coming on strong, where it was one system to identify any human being. And I thought, couldn't we? Create something that um, did the same for property. So with, with brother Mike, who's the genius behind Smart Water, we created the, the, the products. First of all, the property marking, and then the spray system to tag offenders. And what was becoming apparent to me was the criminals, and this is you know, stating the obvious, hate traceability. They don't like anything that's traceable. They don't like property that they've stolen to be traceable because it's incriminating. And they certainly don't want themselves to be traceable uh, because they can find themselves going to prison. So, um, my job, and I suppose that, you know, my, my, if you can claim it as, a, as an achievement, is to persuade senior police officers A, that a bottle of water could reduce crime, and, and B, that you needed a strategy behind your mass property marking if you're going to create a longstanding, sustainable deterrent. And that was my ambition to create create a brand that was a sustainable deterrent that would act as a protector of people, not something that was here today and gone tomorrow, not a fad. And gradually over time, we've been able to achieve that. And I've got a great team around me who understand now. It's called the TRAP principle. It's, a, it, it's a actually a formula or creating deterrence. And um, now it's widely accepted. And and even recently, the evidence that the TRAP principle is working comes out of uh, initiatives at South Yorkshire during the lockdown to suppress domestic violence. And they simply wrote to spouses who'd been uh, threatening their partners with violence and said they are now protected by smart water spray, handheld spray, and we suggest that you stay away. And they did. There was a 69% reduction in domestic violence incidents because of that initiative, which illustrates how strong the smart water brand is as a deterrent. So I would say that is my greatest achievement.
0: Now, will you be stepping away from everything you've created in your 30 years of growing the company, Phil? Or is there something that you plan to be involved with going forward?
3: Yeah, I mean, they very kindly asked me to stay on as chairman of the smart water foundation, which is our charitable arm. And um, I want to expand the, uh, but help me, the police, the police are starved to resources, uh, yet they still want to do good and they still want to protect people. And we, the foundation can bridge that gap um, by offering the police service trials of uh, the smart water strategy and domestic violence, say. Um, and if, if it works, they, and then they go to the authorities, say, can release some money, please, to do this on a broader scale. So the foundation will bridge that gap. So they've got a business case when they seek funding, do something. Uh, Also, we're very heavily involved in suppressing the funds flow into the terrorist groups who are stealing historic artifacts in the Middle East. So, you know, we've all seen ISIS blowing up stuff in Palmyra. uh, What maybe isn't known is they're also stealing stuff and selling it in the first world in New York and London and generating cash for uh, the terrorist activities. Now, ISIS have been pretty well eradicated, hopefully. But other splinter groups are still doing the same thing. They go into archaeological sites, they ravage them, and they put these uh, priceless artifacts on the Internet and so on and so forth. And, and, you know, speaking to the law enforcement agencies, both in the U.S. And, and and in the U.K., they know the stuff's stolen. They know it's been stolen from Syria or Iraq, but they just can't prove it. It's just an argument between scientists about polymer and so on and so forth. But, but I actually, by actually applying smart water assigned to a museum. Or an archaeological site allows the agencies to say this was stolen from a site in Iraq in 2020 and you're under arrest. So that that is a significant deterrent to the first world buyers who are basically supporting the funding of terrorist activity.
0: In your opinion, Phil, what are the major issues facing our industry over the next few years?
3: I think th- 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 this is th- there's a couple actually um, and it, sort of flow, it flows from the fact that the police are still under resourced, you know, all of us in the security industry either wave a flag that there's a criminal incident happening or provide evidence that will help support a prosecution. However, if there aren't enough police officers to prosecute, to actually respond to the flag, the alarm, it starts to make our products uh, less uh, valuable. So police resource is an issue uh, and I think, the creation of a deterrent in the mind of the criminal, even if it's a psychological warfare without much teeth, is a, an important step that the police need to embrace. Now, we spent years working with the police, getting them to understand the needing of the trap principle, the strategy that you need to impact on the criminal psyche. You need to lock a few up. You need to prosecute them successfully. Otherwise, you've got an idle threat. And this is where I see security technologists falling down. They come up with some great kit that could result in a criminal being successfully prosecuted, but they fail to engage with the police to prove that point. And it's not a threat to the criminal attorney until you actually lock a few criminals up and send them to prison with the technology, you haven't created deterrent. So I, I see that's a significant challenge, the lack of police resource and the need to engage with the police when you develop something that could be powerful deterrent.
0: Again, looking back, Is there anything you regret not having done during your time with the Smart Water Group?
3: From a personal perspective, uh, two things. Uh, Not engaged with my grandchildren enough um, because I've been busy Uh, and not writing a sequel to Elixir, the the book I wrote, um, the thriller I wrote. There's a lot of pressure to do that. But within the company, we've we've corrected this in the last couple of years. But my ambition was that we should broaden our offering, the Smart Water Group. Uh, not just often forensic deterrence, but other technology. Possibly we should have gone into m mode a lot sooner. Maybe, uh, you know, 2010-12 was an opportunity to go on the acquisition route. But we won a contract in the Met, which was massive, to protect 440,000 homes, which took up all our resource. So we didn't actually go on the acquisition trail in 2017-18. Uh, and now we've brought in a whole range of deterrent technology which will benefit our, our clients, particularly in the construction and infrastructure industry. And I'm talking about our battery operated mobile CCTV systems which will work anywhere, and also access control systems that we've just acquired, uh, a Belgian company that provides that access control. So. That's the one thing i the really timing issue um but it was for a good reason we were working with them Met on this massive project but i was able to achieve it by the time i retired so uh handing over the reins now for the team to take it forward
0: and outside of non-exec roles phil how do you envisage spending your time after you leave the business
3: um well i'm going to write that sequel to elixir um available on amazon amazon very cheap <laughs> um, but i've had a lot of pressure to write the sequel. It is a trilogy, and I'll be able to do that. I'm also writing a screenplay, um, which could be made into a film. And I'm starting a, a master's at Birmingham University in September, on uh, uh, military history, which is something I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about.
0: And finally, Phil, what advice would you offer to current security industry entrepreneurs in terms of what they need to do in order to make their companies successful? My
3: advice would keep it simple, you know, the KISS principle. And the two bits, keep it simple. And don't forget to, to liaise with your key influencer, and that's the police service, because they're brutal. They'll tell you if something isn't going to work, but it'll save you an all, awful lot of time and effort. If you can engage with them and get them excited, they are the best advocates you can ever have. It, start locally with your local uh, police officers and then get some case histories done to prove the concept Remembering that, of course, unless you actually result in a conviction and someone being you know, either sent down or given a fine as a result of your technology, if it's deterrence you want to create, you need to do that. You need to get the product and technology proven.
0: That brings us to the end of this latest edition of the Security Matters podcast. Many thanks indeed to Andy Williams from Tiny G, Matt Gilmartin of Concept Smokescreen and also Phil Cleary from the Smartwater Group for their highly valued contributions. Many thanks also to our podcast sponsors, The Security Event. The Security Event runs at the NEC in Birmingham on the 5th, 6th and 7th of April 2022. To register for the show, visit www.thesecurityevent.co.uk. Don't forget to visit our website at www.securitymattersmagazine.com where you can access all of our podcasts and also read the latest news and opinion from the security business sector. You can view our dedicated features content and also sign up to receive our very popular weekly e-news bulletins. Please do contact us if there are any key themes or issues you would like us to explore on upcoming broadcasts. You can do so on Twitter by using the hashtag securitypod. On that note, make sure you follow us on Twitter at WBMSecMatters and access our LinkedIn page at Security Matters magazine and website. Please do like and share the podcast content and spread the word among your industry colleagues. You can listen to the Security Matters podcast for free on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube or Podbean. To download the podcast on iTunes or Spotify, all you need to do is enter the term Security Matters into your chosen platform search box. We'll see you next time.